does it seem like we can do it? Yeah, I just, I'm not really sure what I'm going to say, but I, I'm, you know what? I'm usually not sure what I'm going to say in life. <laughs> then the magic happens. Okay. All right. And action. <laughs> and action. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder, what the f am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. What's going on today? Well, I will tell you, there are three things that are sure in life. One is death. The second is taxes. And the third is that it's going to be hotter than Hades in Texas in August. I didn't know where you were going with that, but I'm glad that we were able to, <laughs> to rope it back into today's topic, which is what? Heat tolerant gardening. That is correct. So listeners for today's episode, it'll just be me and Shannon talking to you a little bit about some facts related to heat tolerant gardening, as well as some of Shannon's experiences with an area that's prone to drought and prone to really high heat. Yeah. So it's especially important now because the whole U.S. is kind of getting hotter. The very north all the way to, down to the tip of Florida, it's just changing the way that people garden. So we want to talk a little bit about how you can adapt. I'm going to be speaking specifically for heat tolerant plants and gardening and xeriscaping in Texas, central Texas. But I think a lot of this information you'll be able to utilize kind of wherever you are in the world. Absolutely. And it's so true what you're saying, how everywhere is getting a little bit hotter. I'm in Virginia, which is 7A, 7B. Um, but this past summer season has been pretty unbearable how hot it is. Like just being outside. I was just outside for a little bit today and I'm exhausted because it's just so hot. So. Right. And people are exhausted and our plants are exhausted because mine look a little sad. They they like get really melodramatic in the middle of the day. <laughs> Same. I, I, but I relate to your plants. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and get started. So Marcella, what did you learn about heat related stress for in the garden? Yeah. So it's important to kind of define what that is. So first, most plants do not do well on temperatures over 90 degrees. So you start to see According to my research, and by research, I mean Google, <laughs> after temperatures above 90 degrees, that's when plants start to suffer from, from heat-related stress. And so that basically encompasses photosynthesis slowing down. So plants are not able to feed themselves as they normally would in, in cooler temperatures. In some conditions where there's hardscaping, so concrete or you know dark fencing, dark pots, plants actually experience a higher temperature than the ambient air temperature. And so those are more prone to heat related stress and you'll, and 
when this these this condition is happening, you'll start to notice scorched leaves, kind of like Shannon said, plants being melodramatic and kind of lean into one side and just generally not looking very healthy. And definitely in your own garden, you can kind of see how this affects you just by walking out at different times of the day and kind of seeing how your plants are reacting. You know, if you go out early in the morning and you're watering and then you can kind of see once you go out maybe three, four hours later and it's about noon, how do they're how they're faring and then go out again at about three o'clock and you can see how they're doing then and then go back again at six o'clock and you can kind of see how your plants are doing and all of this really extreme heat. I think one other thing that's really important when you're talking about heat-related stress is to also while you're watching your plants is to watch your sun and your shade mm. if you go out to your gardening area and you can kind of see how many hours of daylight your your plants are getting that's super helpful and it'll definitely be helpful when we continue to talk a little bit about you know picking the right plants and watering needs and that sort of thing so that's just a good tip. definitely and and some plants are some plants are a little bit melodramatic. Some plants can definitely handle heat better than other plants. But I think just to begin, if you kind of watch your garden and watch your sun, and, and that'll kind of give you a good place to start. Absolutely. And I think a couple of episodes ago, one of our guests was talking about microclimates. So also remembering to be on the lookout and remembering that there are probably areas in your garden that are a little warmer and more prone to being exposed to the sun than others. So something else to be on the lookout for when you're trying to make sure your plants aren't suffering from heat-related stress. Right. And, you know, the number one way to kind of make sure that you set your garden up for failure is to do what? To select heat-tolerant plants and drought-tolerant plants. And so, Marcella, you learned a little bit about about that process, how to select plants. Yeah, definitely. So kind of what I I learned was the, the plants that fall into that category of heat tolerant, have evolved mechanisms that help them withstand extended periods of hot, dry weather. So succulents are kind of popular ones that we are all very familiar with. These are plants that store their own water and are able to access, you know, access that that extra resource of water whenever they are out in in dry and hot weather. There are other plants that are also hair that have hairy and waxy leaves that help mitigate the intensity of sunlight when they're being when they're out in the sun for long periods of time. In prairie lands, there are plants that are um, that have deep and extensive root systems that help them access water resources that other plants may not be able to. So those are the types of plants that you're going to want to be looking for in drought areas are those ones with the special features that allow them to withstand those extended periods of hot, dry weather. And so we've talked about before in the podcast about the importance of being able to kind of plan out your garden and have an idea of what you want to plant. And so if you know you're in a climate, you first have to really kind of understand, like Marcella was saying, what climate you're in, if you're in a microclimate, you know, just being hot can be different all over. So you can be hot and dry, you can be hot and humid, you can be hot and coastal, you could be hot in a place that's prairie land that's very flat so that kind of that that's going to definitely have an effect on where you choose to garden so in planning out where you want to garden I would say there's a couple places that you can look to kind of get an idea of what types of plants will be heat tolerant and drought tolerant in your area and so definitely if you look you know at your different master gardeners in your area a lot of areas have, the universities have the AgriLife, um, Texas A&M has one that's very good that you can look for plants and, and flowers and all shrubs, trees, all sorts of things that will definitely help with being heat tolerant and drought tolerant. Google 
is another place that you can just look and ask the question, what grows well in my hot environment? Mm -hmm. You go to a lot of the county extensions. If you just go to county resources and also if you go to your local nurseries and plant centers, they can also kind of guide you in the right way. You know, a lot of people think of when you're talking drought tolerant or heat tolerant that you're talking only about cactus or succulents, which isn't the case. There's tons of vegetables and flowers that do really well in the heat. Just in my garden here in Central Texas, I have okra, peppers, melons, basil that are thriving in the heat. Like I have four basil plants that I literally forgot about three of them for about three months and they're still alive with no water. So <laughs> I think maybe I just got lucky in that regard, but, you know, definitely if you do a little bit of planning in the beginning, you know, when you're putting out your spring garden, kind of have an idea of how the temperatures work in your area. Like I mentioned this in our last, po last podcast in San Antonio, you can get a pretty decent season between about April and June that it gets super duper hot. So if you're going to have things out in your garden between June and August, you have to have things that are very heat tolerant and very drought resistant because in San Antonio, that is also when we go in lo into lots of our water restrictions. So just think about how your area works in that regard. So by the time August rolls around, you can now start a whole new crop of plants, but they're going to be getting, you know, you're going to be putting them out when it's still relatively hot. So just, you know, kind of think a little bit about what goes well. I would not recommend putting things that are you don't need a lot of cold weather and cold temperatures in the middle of August in Texas. So just a little bit of, of advice. Yeah, that's so true. And what you're saying about basil, and I can't remember what other herbs, but there's actually like quite a few veggies and herbs that do well in hot climates. So definitely do your research. I, I Just to reinforce what Shannon said, don't think that the only thing that you can grow or keep alive is you know, cactus and succulents, although those are beautiful plants as well. But the pensamon, do you remember back when Arizona plant lady came on our podcast and she talked about the pensamon? Pensamon, those are really nice plants as well. And they're beautiful and they flower and actually thrive in heat, hot environment. I keep wanting to say heat tolerant environments, but that's not what we're, that's not the right, well, that's not <laughs> what I mean to say. What I mean to say is hot environments. So yeah, so definitely do your research. Yeah, you can keep a lot of really pretty flowers alive. Like here in San Antonio, lantanas do pretty well. You have esperanzas that do pretty well. Sage, a lot of different sage will do well. But just, you know, kind of the, the, the main point here is that when you're planting your garden, think about your weather and think about your watering, how you're going to be able to water or not water. And that'll kind of give you a leg up in choosing the right plants. Absolutely. And to that point, Shannon, you know, it's it's helpful to look at heat tolerant plants and drought tolerant plants when you live in a hot environment. But just in general, I think that it seems like a lot of planting and gardening is moving toward how can you more, how can you better conserve water? Because there are water shortages happening in different regions of the United States, just based on weather changes and a bunch of other factors. But one of the really interesting things that I learned about in my research is what's called xeriscaping which is a form of landscaping that's designed for areas that are prone to drought, but there are, there are techniques that are specifically meant to conserve water. So this technique of landscaping is derived from the Greek word for zeros, meaning dry. And again, it's mostly practiced in hot and arid climates. So the main principles associated with this type of landscaping is number one, choosing appropriate plants, which we've already talked about a little bit. Number two, reducing and eliminating turf grass. Number three, organizing plants with similar needs. So ensure you're putting 
plants together that require the same amount of water, that way you're not wasting water and you're not, you know, having to spend a whole lot of energy kind of switching between the the different needs of different plants in the same little area in your garden. And then finally, ensuring that you're using a good quality soil to pass those nutrients to the plants in your garden. No, exactly. It's funny you talked about xeriscaping because I'm actually in the process of trying to start that in my own yard. I am. Uh, oh, really? I just got rid of a bunch of trees that weren't native. And Gabriel from one of our episodes uh, from Bear, Bear, I always want to say Bear Naked, but that is not <laughs> the name of the company. Bear Nature. Of course you do, Shannon. <laughs> Bear Nature Trees. They, um, he's been super helpful with kind of helping me figure out how to xeriscape this, this lawn. And so I, I think definitely we talked a bit about choosing appropriate plants, like you meant, like Marcella mentioned, and that's super important. You know, reducing grass, uh, grass, turf grass, people are in love with their lawns. I know people yeah. don't want to break up with their lawns. People just love having it. But I think a lot of uh, people are going the, the opposite way where people are eliminating lawns for more of a natural mm -hmm. landscape. And I just yeah. wanted to well it uses a lot of water it does use a, use a lot of water but i wanted to just say a couple things about that so if you do decide that you want to what, what i'm doing right now is i decided that there's a spot that i'm trying to get rid of the the grass and so luckily the drought has gotten rid of most of the grass for me and so, so <laughs> i am i am researching ways in which to do that and so the easiest way i found is to just kind of lay, lay cardboard and do what they call the lasagna method so you lay cardboard down you wet the cardboard and then you cover it with like a mulch or like a you know wood chips or leaf compost and then you kind of let it sit there for a couple of weeks maybe six eight weeks couple months as long as you can and then that will all kind of break down to the earth and give you and it, it kills all the weeds and kills all the grass in that area yeah, so that is a really great way of kind of like starting a garden bed or a location in your garden that you can start from scratch right with all the weeds and everything gone mm. and you can google it about how to get rid of lawn there's tons of, of resources yeah. to kind of help you with that also when i was talking to gabriel one thing that i didn't think about if you still want some sort of grass in your yard there are lots of ways to find out about native grasses that are that will thrive and that are drought tolerant in your area oh, cool so if you talk to your you know like your master gardeners or just kind of get on the on the internet and search around and see if there's different grasses that you can grow like a low turf grass that's native to the area and, and drought tolerant doesn't require that much water resource you know native american seed company is one here in central texas is out of new Braunfels, texas that they're great and they can help you kind of figure out how to do a nice ground cover or you can just do a nice ground cover of some kind of low-lying plant so you still have a grass type you know if you really want to still keep grass so that's always an option but the key is it's like less maintenance the, the key is it's less maintenance and the key is that it's usually if you can find a native grass for your area it's going to thrive much better in that landscape and it's going to be drought tolerant and conserve water which is what is, is the point you know for kind of replacing the, the lawn if you can do it with, you know, a garden with vegetables or flowers or low laying shrubs, or, you know, if you can even put a tree that will like be a tall tree, and then you can put smaller trees in the understory of that tree, then you can put shrubs under that. And then you can put, you know, flowers under that. And there's a way to figure that out in a small space. You don't need acres and acres of land. I am trying to figure out how to put like 15 trees in my front yard, which is like tiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's as small as the closet I'm sitting in right now recording this podcast, but you know, we're going to make it work. No. And so Marcella, you also talked about organizing plants with similar needs. Yeah, definitely. Um, podcast we've talked before about mm -hmm. organizing plants by water needs. 
you know, what needs a lot of water, what doesn't need a lot of water. But another thing that's really important when we talk about organizing plants with similar needs, this is something that I took for granted and I'm trying to learn now. Say shade and sun requirements. True. So put plants together that kind of like you, you can you can make a make it an ecosystem where you have plants that may be more tolerant to full shade that are taller than you can intersperse some maybe flowers or vegetables that are a little shorter that need that shade underneath them. So kind of think about how you're putting that together. If you have a bunch of plants that need shade, you don't want to put them in the full sun. You have a bunch of plants that need full sun, you don't want to put them in the shade. So, and then there may be a way to kind of make all that work in a beautiful marriage yeah. of plants and vegetables that have competing needs. And if you, if you search, you know, if you're in love with a specific plant, you can search, hey, what goes, what's a good companion plant with this? And also, how do these all work together as far as the water needs and the shade and the sun? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you said the word companion planting, because that's what it reminded me of. Planting with your... I know. Planting with the, with the companion, with the... Because we're like, we're like companion plants on this podcast. We are, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and one other thing you talked about for zero escaping is um, improving the soil. So one thing that you can really do to make better soil for your yard, whether if you're putting it in the ground, you know, kind of if you're making this kind of garden area and you're spreading around with, the, you know, with, with you know, kind of something on top of your cardboard and you're creating this whole new kind of landscape in your backyard, or if you're putting it in your pots or you're putting it in a raised bed is compost. So we'll we'll have to have somebody come on and, and on the show and talk very specifically about composting because I don't think I'm great at it, but I'm getting better at it. But compost is definitely a way to improve your soil a hundred percent. Even if you have to start with bot compost from the store or to, or mulch is a good way. Mulch is great because mulching can help to keep that water kind of in the plant so it doesn't evaporate out so there's lots of ways that you can think things you can do to improve the soil and and definitely composting is one so I would say kind of get on the internet like we mentioned before and research that if it's something you're interested in doing you have all these food scraps anyway you know you have all these vegetable scraps so if you can keep put them back into the environment yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah well that's a lot of really good information I also recommend anybody who's listening today that maybe wants some more information or wants to hear more about this topic to go back and listen to our episode where we interviewed Miss Noelle Johnson the Arizona plant lady she also discussed quite a bit about heat tolerant plants and things that she's learned along the way and she's got some books and even some classes that she teaches regarding this topic Yes. And you, yes, you can definitely hit her up on Facebook, find her there, find her on Instagram. And she is in the desert doing a lot yes. of this conservation work. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to end up, we're going to go ahead and kind of like in this episode here, but I did want to leave you with a couple of things that I found in my whole, my quest that I'm on, my xeriscaping, landscaping, put 15 trees in my yard quest. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> So one thing I found, um, I'm not, sh I, I would say, please look around in your different cities and in your different counties to see if there are programs available to help you on, on your journey to make a more drought tolerant um, landscape. In Bear County, where San Antonio is, there are tons of programs and tons of rebates available through energy company, through the water company, through through the, through the county services, they have lots of uh, programs with some of the local nurseries around. So they give a lot of rebates. If you get rid of your grass, you know, they might give you money back for that. If you buy, 
you know, shade trees. Mm. They give you rebates. They give you money to go out and help you kind of zero escape your land. So I didn't know that there. So people could be leaving a lot of money on the table. So look and see if there's, you know, any programs available for you in your area that can help you, you know, on this journey that can help you kind of, you know, save some money while also trying to save the environment a little bit. So I love that. I'm always about how to get some free money. hundred percent. <laughs> and doing the right thing. Um, also from the government from the government and doing the <laughs> <laughs> so i think that was i mean i could talk for like 12 days about the xeriscaping i put that in air quotes so people don't see me that's <laughs> happening in my backyard because i feel like i'm not qualified enough to be like oh i'm xeriscaping you know i'm just like trying to get rid of all this grass and trees that i hate so had you heard this word before? I had, I had, I had. Okay. Because when I was looking, when I was trying to figure out how to make a more drought tolerant garden, and I think that Gabriel and the person that came on talking about his palm trees. Oh, Tim. Tim. He talked about xeriscaping a lot and landscaping. I became very interested in it, so... Well, I hope you've enjoyed and you've gathered some some new knowledge. You're, you know, you're learning right along with us we're, as we're learning on this journey. I hope you are too. So thank you so much for listening today. And we will not be having an episode next week, but... We will come back in two weeks, but you're, gonna, you're in for a treat because we're going to have two hoes gardening. Yes. Yeah, two hoes. That episode was so much fun. Two hoes, enough said. Like what? Yeah, because you? you're gonna you're gonna have two hoes talking to us about gardening, and it's gonna be amazing <laughs> because it was great. And they do a lot of this conservation work here in uh, Central Texas as well, so they'll have a lot to kind of add to this this conversation. Absolutely. So stay, stay tuned for it. The Seedy and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you, and we believe in your plants. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening.